wait a second. Hey, you. Hey, you. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> that is our first guest. This is our first guest podcast. Uh, we have so a friend I, here. We have a friend. Um, remember all those amazing women we always talk about? Well, guess what? Here's one of them. Joining us uh, on the pod today is friend of the pod, Natasha. Uh, she is a TV writer. She is part of the Viacom CBS Writers Mentoring Program currently. Uh, she's originally from Brooklyn, New York. She currently resides in LA. And we're just going to have a real casual chat today. So where do we want to start, ladies? What are we feeling? So I'll, uh, maybe I'll start. I, okay. I actually, You mentioned, Nally, at the start that you know Natasha is one of these amazing friends, uh, female friends that, that we have. And for folks who have heard us or who know us, it's so true that it's almost a bit of a running joke with the two <laughs> of us. It's definitely a big part of our brand, I think, that we 100%. have this this uh, amazing stable, I would say, of, of female friends, um, all of whom just unparalleled excellence. And Natasha is, it's all is my no mistakes. different. <laughs> <laughs> but and they're modest too. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. It's all, it's, well, no, 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 guys, you don't understand. I was <laughs> raised by Caribbean Black family like you don't have a choice so <laughs> i love it the way it is natasha i i'd love to know a little bit like about your gig and you're in a mentorship program as well which personally i find fascinating because professional and personal development are things that i am passionate about so i'd love to hear a little bit more about the work you do and the mentorship you do as well um sure um so i moved out to los angeles blank years ago <laughs> uh, nice. to uh, pursue a writing career specifically for writing television um, after many many years of toiling and trying to figure out like why it wasn't hitting um, I had a kind of like come to Jesus moment and I won't I will I will spare you of the details of that moment <laughs> but specifically I realized that um, because my parents moved here from Barbados um, specifically to excel um, in America, get that American dream. A lot of it has to do with assimilation into American culture. Um, assimilation in many ways is good, but in some ways, and also many ways, um, you are essentially hiding parts of yourself in order to put forth either a mirror or like a wall of who you are. So you're kind of hiding parts of yourself. And then you're also pushing forward like the good things about you. Um, yeah. But there are things that stay hidden, and that's the nature of um, assimilation in America specifically. Um, and so here's the thing, right? Writers are artists, and artists tell the truth. So mm -hmm. if you can't, <laughs> if you can't sit comfortably in your truth, and if you can't say, sit comfortably in all of your foibles, then it's really hard to tell an honest story. And once I realized that. I had a bit of a panic attack because I realized, oh, holy hell, um, I can't do what has getting, gotten me success thus far. I can't do what got me into college. I can't do what, you know, I was trained to do, which is essentially assimilate. Um, so I had to kind of break all of me back down and tell some really frightening stories about my childhood, about who I was, about the questions I had in life, um, specifically um, the idea that I'm actually bicultural, which I didn't even know that that's something I was until I thought about it, but I do have to kind of traverse both uh, my Black Caribbean heritage and my Black American um, heritage as well. And there are two very different kinds of cultures. 
So in doing so, I was just like, holy hell, like no one ever talks about this. And so that's what my pilot, my latest pilot became about Iris, um, essentially. It's about more than that. There's also a Romeo and Julia angle um, because you got to keep it in a structure that people understand. Um, <laughs> I'm always here for it, no matter where you're coming from, but exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, and so essentially what ended up happening was I did the opposite of what I was trained to do, which I just became very real, very much myself and spoke about like the difficulties of growing up and like being around people who essentially look very much like you because I grew up in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, black is black, mm -hmm. all black, but mm -hmm. realizing that a lot of my otherness and loneliness came from the fact that, wait a second, but I was also Caribbean and I went to school with a lot of black American kids and it was just a very different expectation and a very different way of looking at life. And then it just dawned on me, you know, now in my blank years, that <laughs> a lot of uh, what I went through as this kid was tied to the expectations my family had on me versus the expectations my black community had on me. And that was what the script became about. And it's literally gone crazy wildfire. I didn't expect any of this. I was just like, I need to be honest. And that's what I did. And then um, CBS, uh, the Viacom CBS uh, Writers Mentoring Program was the one I got into this year. I'm actually a finalist in another one, but I can't speak about it right now. Right. Um, and it literally was just um, in that program, what hit them was the idea of this nuance in Blackness that is not readily seen on TV because we tend to be, tend to be presented as monolithic because, um, you know, <laughs> you want some black people yeah um, <laughs> no of course that's absurd <laughs> yeah. so, why would you do that um okay. and so um that's the thing that people really related to because they didn't even realize that essentially um you can feel almost like you're biracial even though you're not you're just bicultural and so that was the thing that really resonated with people especially the immigrant angle the American dream angle, the pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and the assimilation and like hiding parts of yourself, this all became very universal. And so that, I think that was the thing that really resonated with them and why I got in there. And now that I'm in the program, I am writing another pilot and I'm working with two CBS um, executives who are amazing. Um, and they're just giving me feedback along the way. And the outline that I was complaining about earlier. And so, yeah, it's been great. And then afterwards, um, they're going to start like next year, 2021, they're going to start um, some workshops where we will be meeting with showrunners, executives, um, past uh, alumni, and kind of just digging into, you know, your brand. Um, what, how do you take general meetings? How do you take showrunner meetings? How do you make sure that you, you know, put your best foot forward so that you can get staffed on that show that you want to get staffed on? So that's pretty much what that is. That's fascinating, dude. Uh, there's actually, there's a couple of things that you said. Well, all of it was, was incredible to hear about, but there's a few things specifically that I'd, I'd like to, to dig in a little bit on. First of all, the term bicultural, I've never actually heard that term before, but it resonates with me so strongly and uh i'll tell you why because i i actually when i i'm indian by birth and when i moved to canada in 2000 whatever the hell when i first moved here you know i moved here to, to go to university where ali is where you and i met yeah and um I, to to your point tasha i i started assimilating and i started sort of finding a way to integrate because I was, you know, I was a student, I was, mm -hmm. I was new to the country in a predominantly white country, uh, which I'd never been in before. Uh, and, and it's, it's surprising the level of 
assimilation is a great term for it. It's surprising the level of that that is expected from you as an mm-hmm. outsider without any words being said. Yeah. <laughs> it is just this unspoken societal expectation that you will toe the white line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it is fascinating to me to hear you put it in words so beautifully so for me i really struggled with a sense of what it meant to be indian what it meant to be an immigrant what it meant to be all these things later in my uh, late 20s i moved back to india for a few years to work and it was really only then for the first time so the first time in 20 something years that i really understood what it meant to feel indian you you don't realize that when you're a kid there is no nope, so sense yeah there's no sense of being from a place when you're like growing up you're from your neighborhood you're from your house you're from your community but like mm-hmm. you're not you're not from the caribbean you're not from india like there's no identity culturally speaking really uh so so that's the first thing that you said that really spoke to me so so thank you for sharing that uh first of all The uh second thing um is how much you you spoke about the the need for sort of a, a truth and an authenticity to that that really allowed for you to become successful. And yeah. I love that, man. Like I love that so much that makes me feel overwhelmingly positive because I feel like that's something that we've all intellectually perhaps you know that, but to be okay with who you are to not just being okay with who you are but celebrating it working around it finding professional acclaim with your truth that's incredible um yeah i mean i appreciate you saying that because um i mean i would say writing this pilot that's you know still i mean it won austin film festival um yeah shout it out like <laughs> i mean wait wait was, hang on that's amazing say that again yeah, for everybody whoa. because we just like <laughs> blew over that right yeah we just no. like blew past that like what the <laughs> so, hell basically two or three weeks ago i can't remember guys the, the weeks are flying by here it's like four um, or five weeks i watched the video <laughs> <laughs> um but even uh, in so, time that's not even a thing anymore yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Austin Film Festival which is one of the more prestigious competitions um for screenwriting here in the US. So I had been applying I don't even know how many years um and for so long it was very hard to even really break ground in it and then I got the phone call that I was a semifinalist and I was like shut up you're kidding. Uh, <laughs> and you know and I got a phone call t- a couple weeks later it's like you're a finalist. I was like how? And then, <laughs> And then Ooh, they got in. So cool. Yeah, yeah. and then they called me, I don't know, like a week later and they were like, "Guess what? You're the AMC 1 hour pilot winner," which essentially means that AMC who does wonderful shows such as The Walking Dead, All of the Dead. So they started with Mad Men and Breaking Bad. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, so that network basically they read the finalists and they ch- select among them the one that they want to 
say is like more the most in line with their brand or a voice that they really want to get to know. And so I was selected by AMC executives um, to win that award. And in fact, I have a meeting with them in a week, I think, or a week or two. Um, That is incredible. And it's all because of this pilot. And I think what it really comes down to is like living your truth and being true to who you are um, in a country. Because America, you know, I'm from America. Um, (laughs) I'm like, I'm trying to, trying to, trying to like be nice. Um, We're Canadian, so we are are all trying to be diplomatic with our allies to the south. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No, guys, look, I love, I do love, I do love this country. It's just, um, I'm, I'm disappointed in it. I'm very disappointed in it. I think that's and, true, and honestly, and you wouldn't be disappointed if you didn't want so badly for it to be better. Exactly. exactly. And um, I think that there's an individual, it's so funny. It's, um, this is a country and it's, you know, it's kind of getting away from it, but just really quickly. It's a country that's all about individualism and like, it's almost toxic. Um, yeah. and the handling of the pandemic that's all I'm going to say about that but it's almost yeah. toxic and the individualism um, that how much we pride ourselves of that as part of our culture but then oddly enough or ironically enough or hypocritically <laughs> you don't practice that individualism necessarily when it comes to people who are of a different culture so then they're oh, yeah. assimilate into your culture Mm-hmm. And very weird. So, um, but being true to who you are, I'm sticking true to that and like finding a way to tell that story in a way that resonates with everyone. Because I think we all kind of feel othered in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that just really resonated with people and like the fact, so basically what I did is I did a Romeo and Juliet take on um, the classic Shakespeare play. But what I did was is I placed it in the 90s. And um, because um, specifically because in the 90s, you didn't have a lot of the new rhetoric around how to discuss race um, that you have now. Those books weren't really in existence. And so what you had was a situation where you had a very strong Caribbean black um, uh, group of people, of settlers or of um, immigrants who came to America. um, And they're here for the American dream, right? So they want that money, right? They want that success. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're being put in a situation where you're living next door next to black Americans and there was a lot of unnecessary rhetoric and a lot of anger and a lot of hatred and a lot of like just tension between the two because you know in some one case Caribbean people might seem, be seen as sellouts because they're here trying to like you know assimilate into the white American dream and like all that and then you know for uh, some Caribbean people you know black Americans are lazy and you hear a lot of the rhetoric that might you might more so hear in white communities in regards to black people mm-hmm. um, but you're hearing it because um, essentially it's a way of pitting black people against black people and then you start to realize that really it's all part of systemic racism which oh yeah either. yeah um, but the whole point is I really wanted to talk about that that there really was a cultural tension between the two that I didn't really understand growing up, but I was kind of caught in the middle of it mm-hmm. because I can't be not black American. I am, I was born here, right? right. Exactly. <laughs> and I can not, not, you know, but I am also Caribbean, a black mm-hmm. American. Um, and there are differences there. So that I think has been just really resonating with people. And um, they've been really interested because I think no one realizes that, you know, if you're from Africa, if you're from Ethiopia, if you're from Nigeria, if you're from Zimbabwe versus if you're from, you know, even if you're from the South versus the North versus the this or this. Yep, exactly. All of these, all of these are nuances in Blackness. Yeah, right. And honestly, dude, that, that's incredible. And uh, not to, I mean, it's obviously not the same, but it sort of reminds me very much of 
the success of Black Panther in Black communities. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I remember that it resonated so strongly with folks is that for the first time in in a very long time or perhaps ever even as a mainstream uh, studio production, uh, it was a story centered around blackness that didn't have to do with blackness in the context of whiteness. So mm-hmm. racism, institutional racism, you know, like uh, slavery and all of these different things. No, it was about black stories within a black diaspora. Like, and it was the first time in, uh, I don't even know who was the first time in ever or the first time in a very long time, but certainly the that first time in recent memory, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, and, and I love that it, it sounds like what, what you are writing is something very similar. It is, it, it's a story yeah. that centers around uh, that narrative and that, that space, which is fantastic. Yeah, because I think it's important that we understand that these stories don't exist in a white versus black vacuum. I mean, yes. people want to present it. And every time you see a Romeo and Juliet tale, I mean, I, lo- I love them all, guys. I'm a classic. I'm an English sure. So you didn't like, give me all the Romeo and Juliet. I don't even really care what you give me. Just, you say Romeo and Juliet, I'm there. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> but you usually see it very clearly in like this idea of she's black, he's white. We, we do it by race. But we don't realize, stop to realize that within each other's own races, like there is that, st- there's still that possibility of tension. There's still that possibility of um, conflict because we're not all the same. Just because right. one person's Indian and the other person Indian doesn't mean that they're both the same kind of Indian. That doesn't oh, mean yeah. That. yeah. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So like there's such great nuance to these conversations, which is why I'm so happy we got to all be on this uh, call together but speaking of all those nuances and how it is kind of how we're all kind of dealing with it right now um, we're all kind of spread out uh, obviously gen- generally we're spread out because Natasha you're on the west coast mm-hmm. Trina and I are on the east coast but even within those paradigms now because of COVID we're all spread out but on top of that we're spread out from our families as well yes so you're originally from Brooklyn you mentioned mm-hmm. um, and you're in California right now and then yep. Uh, yep. yeah and then so and I'm in Toronto uh, my sister lives in, yeah, my sister lives in Nashville. My parents are retired in Florida. Um, and because the borders are closed, I can't visit them uh-huh. at the moment. Yeah. And, and Tree, you have family in a couple places, right? Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my mom lives in India, but she's actually visiting right now. So that's pretty exciting. Very nice. Uh, she'll be here till uh, mid January or so. And she's, uh, but, and she's kind of shuttling between my uh, brother's place and my place. Uh, my dad is is here in in Toronto. He is high risk and he lives in a high risk community. So I don't see him as as much as I would like, even though we're uh, ostensibly close enough to do that. Uh, yeah. But but yeah, COVID is uh, is taking the wind out of a lot of sails. Exactly. And so there's <laughs> there's all these different layers of disconnect, unfortunately. Yes. Um, because of COVID. Um, and, you know, we're lucky that we're able to connect, thankfully, for technology. You, all three of us are here right now. But and, those- and not just here, but, but comfortable with the tech, because yeah. there are, like, the tech is available. Your parents, my parents, like, Tasha, your parents, like, it's a different generation, man. They're not as comfortable mm-hmm. talking to someone through a screen and feeling no. as connected. No. Oh, no, um, guys, my parents don't know how to turn on a computer straight up. <laughs> <laughs> 
I tried to teach them when I was a high school student how to turn on a computer, how to operate a computer, because my dad really wanted to record, you know, WWE or WWC, whatever wrestling federation, I think it's probably gone now because there's been so many of them. Huh. He really wanted to record those and we didn't want to pay for a, um, a DVR system. So there was, you know, the media center PCs. Yo, that sounds like an immigrant oh. family and I am <laughs> yeah, here exactly. for it. I, I am um, here for that. Like, as I was like, Dad, you can record it on the computer. See, I can show you. And right. um, that lasted all of two months. And he <laughs> was just so afraid to even put it on. And uh, I gave up. Um, and so my parents, yeah, like they actually, unfortunately, are very isolated. Because unless you're picking up a phone and speaking to them in the traditional way, um, yep. they're not going to be able to connect to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And same with my parents. I mean, they were here with me, but then they moved to Florida and, you know, my sister uh, for Christmas, I think th four or five years ago now, bought my parents a laptop so that they could be online and be in contact with her and me now that they were living in Florida. And my mother still calls me only on the phone. She's never heard this podcast, nor would she know how she knew that it existed. Besides the fact that I've told her we do one. I'm not sure that she understands what I mean when I say that. So... <laughs> I mean, Yo, my mom is like crazy on Twitter, man. Like your mom is amazing. My, Twitter, my mom, yeah, my mom I is like that. all over Twitter. Like, yeah, she, she got the social media bug. For real. Like she knows that we have a podcast because of Twitter. I don't think she's ever listened to it, but because I don't know if she knows how, but like, but I'm <laughs> honestly like same, but like, yeah. but she's big on Twitter. Like, yeah, exactly. My parents are like. Hey, we heard from, you know, because I have three cousins and they're about 10 years younger than me. Um, and she's like, yo, Kimberly told us that they saw you on some book, some kind of something about a book on, on the internet. And I'm like, do you mean Facebook? And they're like, yeah, you posted some photo or something. So we had her come over and show it to us. And I'm like, oh my, God, oh my goodness, guys, like you could have just looked that up on your phone, but you don't know how to operate your actual like phone. So never mind. Yeah. <laughs> So, Ali, to, to your point about the disconnect, it, it's absolutely made worse in uh, yeah. the generation gap of technology. Yeah, so there's the physical distance, and then there's the generational distance, and then there's the knowledge gap that we're all kind <laughs> yeah. of navigating with, like, different members of our families, depending. Some of them are better than others, uh, and then there's challenges. And then, of course, there's the layers of disconnect, which is, like, as you mentioned, uh, like your dad's here, but again, because of COVID, it's a high risk situation. So like, that's more challenging. And then me with the borders being closed uh, and then just COVID in general. And so we have all these weird disconnects going on right now. And I say that to say that what we kind of wanted to talk about is how it's, it's been, you know, there this whole time, obviously this, you know, COVID is not new and neither is isolation, but going into the holidays, it, just changes things a little bit from a pers mm -hmm. just pers from perspective. Um, it feels the the distance feels further, and yeah. you, know, you kind of have to rethink how you do the holidays. But again, you're limited by you know generational uh, information. You know, people who are younger than the three of us, and then there's the generations who are older than us who are either really good at technology but have no interest in being on any social media with people older than them, maybe, or you know the ones who are older who have no interest in learning technology because they're like I haven't had to now why are you making me do this right now um yeah which is a, yeah which is an argument I've heard many times it's like I can show uh -huh. you how to they're like why do what can't we what's wrong with the phone 
I'm easier to get a hold of sometimes if I don't have to be on the phone. And if it's a question of like, what, if you have a question, it's a quick one, just send me a text. Um, but it's never a quick one. I don't know why I made that as a possible scenario. Uh, <laughs> it's never quick. Um, it's always, <laughs> I had to, I had to have a friend, uh, remotely install Microsoft office on their laptop, take control of their computer from Canada. Jesus. That's exhausting. Um, yeah. But what <laughs> No, but that's yeah, no, that's that's the kind of thing you do for your parents now. But this is the thing: the amount of time I spend doing tech support, which, as anyone will tell you, that's not a job I'm good at. Um, (laughs) I shouldn't be in charge of anyone's tech support, and no one's arguing. Man, I feel like even people who do tech support for a living struggle with doing it for their parents. Like that's, I feel like that must be true. (laughs) I feel like it might from a patient's perspective. Well, yeah, when you're on the phone with your, like, I think about, you know, your, your support, right? So you're on the phone with someone who's calling you, who's like, help me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to like, you know, they're, the whole point is they want help. So they're going to listen to your directions and like take them. <laughs> now you're on the phone with your parents and they want to order you around. They want to tell you how stupid it is. Oh <laughs> yeah. No, they, they have no inclination of actually being helped. <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. not at all. You know, it's like it, you're inconveniencing them by right. trying to help. <laughs> shared experiences, guys. Shared yeah, experiences. Yeah, so this is what brings <laughs> bring us all together. Snowing here in Toronto for the first time. How are you guys? Like, do we want to talk about how we're gonna navigate the holidays? Or do we do we know how we're navigating the holidays? Um, I yeah, I'd love to know what you guys are doing. I we are we're not we're keeping it pretty pretty low key here. Might have my my father in law over. My uh, grandfather-in-law is in a home that has restricted visitation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure if he can even, like, have food delivered to him. If he can, like, I'm going to pack some stuff up and, and send it over. But, like, for the last few years, I've been the one doing the uh, Christmas meal for oh. our for for my for my in-laws and stuff because my, my mother-in-law was sick and she passed away. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, but for a few years before that and, and continuing till now, I'm sort of the only one in, in that side of the family, the, the immediate family that, that makes sort of that kind of meal. Like there's aunts and uncles, like several of them that have like a big spread and, and everything as well, but just sort of immediate family. And then my mom is going to be here for, for Christmas as well, which is, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, so probably just have people over to our place and and try and be as uh as careful as we can and the thing is like my partner and I like we we've been really careful about like not going out and and restricting our access and doing all these things just in 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 service of like in the future like if anything were to happen like we could safely be able to be with the various high-risk people in our lives and as much as my parent, my, my mom probably doesn't want to admit it, my dad doesn't want to admit it, my father-in-law won't want to admit it, but they are all in the high-risk age group. Mm. And like, so in a pinch, if something was to happen, I should reasonably be able to go to the hospital and say, no, I haven't been any in any hotspots. So hoping that having people over will, it's it uh, understanding it's it's not the... It's not, it's not the best thing in the world, but like, it's, I don't know. We're trying to be careful, trying to be low key and, and have mm-hmm. people over here. That's, that's what we're doing. 
And uh, for us, um, so I'm on the West Coast, my parents are on the East Coast. Um, and so like, first things first, like I said, technology is not really an option. Right. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, they're still on like actual phone phones, like wall phones. So um, I will call them. Um, we won't do any FaceTiming, any of that, because once again, they don't really know how to do that. But we'll probably give them a call or we will definitely give them a call on Christmas and on New Year's and on Thanksgiving um, and just have a long conversation with them. We might even watch, you know, my dad's favorite thing to watch ever is any Spider-Man movie ever made. So maybe we might watch that via the phone. Yo, that's like, adorable. Oh, that's super cute. That's super cute. Uh, I'm here for that. <laughs> and, we have to come uh, back to that because I'd love to know if he has a favorite. Yeah. Um, it's always Spider-Man. It's uh, he loves Spider-Man. He loves him with the only thing that could get him off of Spider-Man is Shawshank Redemption. Oh, oh. legit. Because nice. <laughs> he Solid we both choice. love that movie. Oh, yeah. um, anyway, so like, um, it'll probably be a lot of phone calls and a lot of yelling because they never hear, they can never hear me. Um, but, <laughs> be, uh, but the thing is, is my parents are very much in the high risk group. Um, mm -hmm. They're both in their seventies. Um, and on top of that, uh, they are both from New York city. So when this thing first broke out, I was super worried for them because they were also in the age group of, I don't want to listen to my kids yeah um so they still wanted to go out and they still wanted to work and they still wanted to continue their life as is and um work for them by the way was jfk airport so oh, geez yeah. uh <laughs> so i finally got them to stay home um i i, I basically called their boss but that's a long story uh, <laughs> i finally got them to stay home and so they're home now and that's good and then on top of it though um i'm asthmatic Mm -hmm. uh, so I am also high risk not as high risk because of age but I am high risk so like I've had to be super careful so I'm not I can't really travel so it's been really um odd because we've not seen each other probably in over a year because um last year my husband and I opted to take a vacation by ourselves instead of go home so yeah. but you know you know you don't know what you don't know <laughs> right exactly yeah uh so uh I haven't seen them in over a year so it's gonna be sad um and it's gonna but it's what's really even sadder though is because you know COVID you poor guys um are on top of us you're like living above like <laughs> house or something yeah. <laughs> because, um, because it's the u.s and it's that toxic individualism that we were talking about before mm -hmm. um we're not getting it under control and it just feels like as time goes on more and more the only way i'm going to be able to see my parents again are through vaccinations yeah, so yeah. um yeah it's been scary and it's not been easy and i definitely miss them but it'll be fine because you know what at least my parents are they, they made it through that crazy New York, everyone was dying period. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I'm excited to have at least a phone call with them and connect with them in that way. And uh, my husband will also be doing the same with his family. So that's pretty much how we, we're probably going to be handling it. Yeah, awesome. same with, with my family as well. It's just phone calls. Um, I, I'm not going to try to do the video thing because we've tried that in the past and they haven't quite figured it out. Um, so we're, yeah, we're going to do phone calls. Um, back and forth and um uh there's a, a few uh really good friends i have uh that i hang out with here um we're all in each other's bubble and you know it's just a handful of us less than a handful um so i may see a couple of them but that'll be you know case dependent we'll see how things go because you know toronto's trying to keep it down low and like get the numbers back down to a respectable number um because mm -hmm. they've been going out of control out lately mm -hmm. um so it's like toronto for example is back in the red zone um yeah. so that's kind of a little bit 
things are dicey right now. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, it's going to be, it's definitely going to be different. And I think everyone's kind of taking it uh, best, the best they can. And we're, everyone's been putting things in place. We have whole states where people are not wearing masks and uh, not social distancing and not doing anything. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's yeah. super stressful. My parents, as I mentioned, are retired and they're, they're in Florida, which was not like an ideal for me ever, just in life. But um, <laughs> I wasn't thrilled when they announced it, but I mean, whatever. Um, but no, I asked them Florida, how they were. Florida is a certain kind of special. It's <laughs> a, yeah, and I, I always kind of had heard that, but then I saw so when all this kind of happened, I, you know, obviously checked in on them and asked how things were down there because I was hearing stories. Um, and they said, you know, they're, they basically, my mom um, and my dad just kind of stay in the house. Um, they would go for walks on the beach before the beaches closed down. Um, and now they're kind of just, they stay inside and they'll go out for groceries once a month. They'll do like a big stockpile, that sort of thing. But they have told me like on the drive to the grocery store and back when they go, they pass ton- tons of restaurants and there's tons of people in all of them. And apparently there's a restaurant, not in their neighborhood, but a bit further out from where they are, closer to my parents are, since they're retired, they aren't in like the downtown area anywhere. Um, but closer to there's a restaurant, they won't let you in if you're wearing a mask. So they're what? only letting people in if they don't wear masks. This is a restaurant and this is what a- What the hell, place. man? My head so, almost exploded. <laughs> um, there's a quote that um, a good friend of mine, um, she told me, um, and hopefully I can don't mess it up. Um, but I think we're kind of in this last period. So she says to me, um, strong times create strong men. Strong men create- uh, you know, easygoing times, easygoing times create weak men and weak men create hard times. So (laughs) uh, we're back in the, I think we're definitely back in the weak people create hard times area. (laughs) I'd say that's fair. That's Um, a really constructive way to look at it. When I look at this and I just say, okay, let me get this straight. Uh, Hold on, everyone back. I know everyone's situation is individualistic. Yeah, I know that like you might be dealing with domestic, you know, abuse. You might be mm-hmm. dealing with this. You might be dealing with that. You might really need money. So I'm not by any way trying to generalize this situation. But for those who have, you know, women complaining that they can't get their hair done, mm-hmm. or <laughs> like any yeah, other circumstances that we have seen video of, I yep. just don't understand how like you can't stay home for any length of time when there's so many things available to you to entertain you in so many ways like this is not honestly not we're not asking the moon you know we're asking you to bench another netflix show so yeah (laughs) you and i talked about that natasha a little bit but to your point i mean to these people who who want to be who want to be out they seem to forget that you and Tree and I have this privilege of being able to stay home. Like I work full time, so does so do you two, but mm-hmm. we're able to do it from home. It's not a yeah. hardship to have to stay inside. There's a lot of people who have to go out to work and deal with people and they're putting their lives at risk and they might not have the option like you mentioned. They might no, have to pay the bills. And most of the people who are out there are doing it because they are supporting themselves or a family or I mean any number of things. And so to be to be able to be inside that's a you know that's a privilege and people who are bucking against that and going well I want to be out and also when I'm going to be out I'm not going to wear a mask it's like okay like how many layers of stupid are there and apparently there's a fucking bargain basement level that I didn't know existed 
all I really want, honestly, at the end of the day, and that's the thing, like, I know that there are extenuating circumstances out there that I can't even begin to understand. And for those people, my heart truly goes out. And mm-hmm. I hope that there are solutions that we can find that can keep you healthy and safe, but also keep your family fed yeah. and keep businesses open. And like, you know, whatever it is that you're suffering, I am sorry. And I understand that it is not easy for everyone. But there, I'm specifically talking to that section of people who are complaining about the fact that they can't get their hair done. Right. And God, and of all the people that are doing it, none of them are Black women who literally have a certain kind of hair that they would like to get done. Like there's, there is a, there is a real like entitlement to the situation that is happening. And I'm talking specifically to those people who are so entitled that Mm -hmm. they have the nerve to complain that they can't get their hair done or they can't get their nails done or they can't have massages or like, or they're like stopping doctors and nurses from getting in to hospitals who need to go and like, you know, be of service to COVID patients. And, or they're accusing them of like somehow stealing money from the government by and purposely like saying, you know, inflating COVID numbers. There's all these conspiracy theories happening and it's really um, disheartening and it's just plain wrong. And I just don't understand how we got so far from center Um, because, you know, those particular people, you're literally causing chaos for chaos sake and you're politicizing something that is, should never be facilitated. This is, this is just someone's health. This is someone's loved one and we should be doing what we can to keep people alive. There are other governments around the world who are going through very, something very similar and somehow they managed to keep their citizens inside by providing this, the financial support that was necessary to keep them inside for two months. Um, and I really do think that we need to start having a government that supports our people and actually cares for our people instead of, um, you know, whatever this is that's happening, this individualism that is so toxic that, you know, it's like, you know, screw you and your problems. Screw you and your situation. <laughs> I want to get my hair done. Yeah, um, exactly. That level of ridiculousness has, has got to stop because it's just, it's toxic and no one's going to be left standing at the end of it. Like, yeah. exactly. Yeah. One of the reasons I'm so happy that my mom has been able to come to Canada during this time is because potentially the only country in the world that is handling this as poorly as the US is India. And India has ex- like like exponentially more people. It is it's yes exponentially in- for sure. It is infuriating yeah. to see the lack of leadership and the willful ignorance of of oh my god I can't even like I just speaking <laughs> of diatribes Natasha. <laughs> There are there are things you could go into, I'm sure. Yeah, I read an article that said that basically there are people dying in the, the more rural areas that didn't see this spike at all until now. Um, so like rural Wisconsin, rural Michigan, like these other places that like they were very lucky for six months. Apparently, the the nurses were saying that patients dying patients before they can incubate them are yelling and um, angry at them. Because what do you mean I'm dying? It's not real. I was told it's not real. And so oh. they're actually angry at their health professionals for trying to tell them the truth. How, the, I don't want to use the word brainwash, but how- um, No, but I mean, let's call a spade thing. a spade. Like you are so tied to your insistence that you couldn't possibly be wrong about this. Like you wouldn't possibly have made a mistake. That means 
that everything you have believed could possibly be called into question. Like, yeah, unfortunately, that's true. That yeah. is true. It is very uh, true. And it's scary that their health professionals are having to deal with people who have become, um, I don't know if they became violent, but they definitely became antagonistic towards the person trying to save your life because they would rather believe what they've been told than the, the medical professional before them who's trying to save their lives. I think you and I read the same article because I do recall reading, um, it was the article that I read was from the perspective of uh, a nurse who was working mm -hmm. in, a, in the ER. And that was a situation she had where uh, she was you know, going from room to room as part of like her regular rotation. Uh, and she had one patient similarly who was you know refusing all these things angry that he was still there like didn't not believing all the things that she was saying and he was saying things like um oh this is you know this is fake it's a hoax like and meanwhile she has people dying in the hallways and of course this person's confined to the, to a bed at this point um but for some reason still like in denial about like what is actually happening not just in the world but to him um and he actually she had said in the article you know as a nurse, you're not supposed to, she can't go back at him and, and like tell him all the things that she just saw. Because as a nurse, each new patient, you kind of have to wash the last part out of your mind and approach the situation, not bringing any of that baggage into a new patient's room. Uh, she kind of broke that a little bit and kind of, you know, quietly said, I think what, just one or two things about what was happening. Um, but she was not trying to say anything, but apparently like through her mask and like the sh face shield she had on, she didn't realize she started crying and oh, apparently that kind of like stopped him but like he didn't say anything really it just kind of like he stopped talking a bit and so she went back out and apparently the next day um, he was being I think released or moved and they had to move him out of the room and uh it was she was there again and he actually he apologized um once he saw the people oh, wow. in the hallway and but like it was she goes he wasn't the only person like that it wasn't like there was this one guy it was like any number of patients any given day you're going to get someone who doesn't believe despite all the evidence in front of them what's mm -hmm. exactly happening and that's got to be from a medical professional standpoint that has to be infuriating because you're risking your life trying to save people who don't think they're sick or don't think there's a problem so just from a human perspective it's just a sad state of affairs when um, people are being so willfully blind to the things around them um, just yeah. because they can't handle the, the truth and the reality of like oh yeah I bought into this like nobody likes to have one pulled over on them um, but at some point you have to throw in the towel or one hopes but the thing uh, is they won't do that here it's because the uh, I don't like to say his name but I like to call him the one-term president who lost the popular vote twice <laughs> love, um, it. <laughs> love it uh, breaking records left and right uh, <laughs> way to be a loser um yeah uh, but because he's not doing he's doing the exact same thing right now he's there's the logical like here are the results of this election and it's just willful ignorance and it's so sure. mad a very <laughs> really funny thing like you know yo i've never seen someone try to gaslight an entire country before right <laughs> like, he really did. um and what's, like well, yeah. what's crazy about that too um i was watching the good fight um on cbs all access and they did they did an episode where they did um an episode about news farming mm -hmm. and how mm -hmm. fake news articles get out there but then they specifically target like a group of people to make sure that those people see these articles yeah um and it's really scary because i i remember the first time i didn't know what it was at the time until i saw this um episode but i I remember I was sitting, um, this is back when I was working at HBO in um, the post-production post department. And yep. my friend who was sitting next to me, co-worker, he's from Texas. 
Um, and so obviously he has, and you know, he's a white man from Texas. So he has a very different news cycle. Yes, <laughs> very uh-huh. different. Um, and uh, I remember sitting there um, looking through Facebook really quickly. And my news, my news was so skewed towards like, you know, a black person gets beat up or a black person gets pulled over by the cop or like yeah. watch this situation or that they were all very targeted towards making me pissed off and pissed off obviously against a, a very clear group of people now some of those stories might be right some or true some of those stories might be wrong we don't you don't know because you don't know where the news stories are coming from and right. then he called me over to his side because he wanted me to like help him with, with something I can't remember what it was and he had up his Facebook feed and it was literally the exact like the, the exact opposite our reverse wow and we were on Facebook at the exact same time yeah, and that's where you get the social media part of it where they're manipulating the news sources exactly. the news is still there but social media you can do ad targeting in that case exactly yeah, yeah. That scared me because in his i remember one time we were talking about something just in passing he was like well, what about all the white people that are getting attacked and i was like what are you looking at and yeah, like, exactly. I remember what he was talking you know then work happened but then it brought me back to that where i was like wait a second what are we being fed mm in our, you know, social media diets. And like yeah. that very aware that you just have to be very careful about what you're getting because there is a there is a true need to divide specifically this country. Because the more divided it is, the less that we're dealing with the real problem. Here's the one thing I think that we can take away from this. So I saw this earlier today, someone uh, shared this with me on LinkedIn, um, that a way to look at 2020 as we head into the last bit of it, everyone's kind of like, just get us out of 2020. This is by no means done in 2020. This, I'm getting, start. Uh, I'm getting there, I promise. Um, so, <laughs> you know, we just gotta, we, we have to make it through, but um, they, the article that I saw said, we should look at 2020, you know, it's easy to say, you know, it's been a dumpster fire. You could list a, you know, a list a mile long of everything that went wrong. But a way to look at 2020 is, it's not the year to get everything you want. It's the year to appreciate everything you have. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I thought that was a nice way of leading into the holidays when we have this COVID situation, when the world does seem to be falling apart, literally at the seams, literally every day. Um, and all of us are doom scrolling, as we mentioned. Um, <laughs> it's nice to, to maybe reframe maybe the year in, you know, hindsight is 2020. Haha. Yeah. This year to me was about showing us what is important what should we place value on and what are the areas that we are weak and where do we need to improve and if you look at it that way honestly 2020 is probably going to be the most pivotal year in our futures um and so in that way i am grateful for 2020 because i think it it has enlightened a lot of people's perspectives about where they you know kind of running no running 100 miles a minute and going nowhere versus taking your time and actually stopping to be like okay wait what do i where do i want to go i love that yeah. I love that. That's a perfect way to, to put it. I feel like that's a really great spot for us to wrap. Uh, Ali, do you want to wrap with sharing our socials? Yeah, absolutely. So you can follow us on Twitter at Particular Women. We share all of the links to the articles we talk about. Um, and you can also follow us on Instagram at These Particular Women. Uh, make sure you uh, like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening from so you get notifications when our newest episodes uh, drop. And we want to say a special thank you to Natasha for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun talking to you ladies. Thanks, Sasha. This was great, guys. Thank you. All right. See you guys soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.